0: Turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is our sermon text tonight. We've had a lot of interruptions in the evening service through October, and we've got one more coming, so we'll get back to Genesis, Lord willing, starting in November. Uh, But here tonight, Psalm 51. Hear God's word. and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice." Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. And our New Testament reading here is first John chapter one through chapter two verse six. and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your word. We pray that you would teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, that we might be fully equipped for every good work. We pray this for Jesus' sake and for your glory. Amen. If there's part of your Christian life you're proud about, admit it, it's your prayer life, right? You're proud of how much you pray. Probably not for most of us. Prayer is probably something most of us feel a little bit guilty about, at least a little bit. Of all the Christian disciplines, many of us struggle to pray as often as we know we should, or as persistently for things as we know we should, or as earnestly as we know we should. And of all, so prayer is already sort of a neglected discipline, probably in some respects. But of all the aspects of prayer that are most neglected, I would guess that confession of sin might be the most neglected of all. Uh, so when we do pray, we'll, we might praise God for who He is and ask Him for things, thank Him for things. But but often, I think confession gets uh, gets forgotten or left out. How often do you confess your sins to God? How particular are you in that confession? How seriously do you treat confession of sin to God? Or maybe maybe you say, well, confession of sin is not really a big deal for Christians because we've already been justified. And, 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 And it's not as though my justification depends on my ongoing work of confession of sin. So perhaps we would say, well, we don't really need to, to pay much attention to this. Just a general confession is, is fine. Um, but the Word of God commands us to confess our sins. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is good for us. It's our duty, and it's good for us. It keeps us in the gospel um, confession of sin keeps us, uh, uh, keeps us thirsting after Christ. Confession can uh, have a wonderful way of um, sort of giving us an appetite for the gospel again and reminding us of the grace of Christ again. And as such, it is a vital part of the Christian life. The Westminster Confession of Faith addresses... This in chapter 15, and uh, let me read here three paragraphs, uh, three short paragraphs from the Confession of Faith, which speak about this. This is Confession of Faith, chapter 13, paragraph, uh, paragraphs three through five, says this, although repentance be not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Confession of sin is necessary for all sinners, it says. And then they go on, paragraph four, as there is no sin so small but deserves damnation. So there's no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Every sin we should be confessing to the Lord. And then the fifth paragraph, men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance. But it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins, Particularly, uh, the confession says there's no pardon without repentance. There's no forgiveness without going to God and confessing your sin to Him. Uh, they're not the reason God forgives us. Jesus and His finished work is the reason He forgives us. But nevertheless, it's how we respond in faith to Christ. It's a vital part of the Christian life and of discipleship. It's our duty and it's, and it's a means of Grace. It gives us an appetite for Christ. it's um, how we lay hold of the promises of the gospel. So we need to confess our sins. But where do we start? What should it look like Um, if we're going to grow in this? We need a model. We need an example to follow. The Bible gives us several. Psalm fifty one is is one of the is one of the one of the clearest uh, for us. It's a Holy Spirit inspired lesson in how to confess. Our sins. I want to work through Psalm 51 here in, in, under four, four headings, four points from the text. Number one is this. Ask for mercy because of who your God is. Ask for mercy because of who your God is. Verses one and two here. Ask for mercy because of who your God is. Psalm starts out, uh, the first stanza David is, is summarizing what the whole psalm is going to be about, and he starts with this cry for mercy. Now, David does not deserve mercy. He has the, the heading to the psalm, it makes this clear, that the gives us the clear backstory. He's writing this psalm after he's committed adultery at Bathsheba. He's committed adultery, he's lied to cover it up, and he's had a man put to death. Um, has had Bathsheba's husband killed. And he's gone on living in this for a long time. Long enough for a child to be born from this adulterous relationship. So he does not deserve mercy at all. We were living in Israel. We might say, get him out of there. He shouldn't be king anymore. He has no place with a moral failure like that. But David is asking God, give me mercy don't treat me according to my sins. Don't give me what I deserve. Grant me, grant me mercy. But notice where his focus goes as he starts the psalm um, and mo- moves, in, moves, into, moves into it. Notice his logic. He's asking for mercy. Why does he think he'll get it? What's he basing this cry for mercy on? What's the foundation of mercy for him? It's who God is, right? He's coming to God in confession because he knows who God is. Not because of who he is, but because of who God is. And he's, he's saying, God, be God to me and show me mercy. You are the God of mercy. Uh, he says here, have mercy on me according to your loving kindness. That word, of course, is the word that is from the Hebrew chesed, steadfast love, covenant love of God. Um, God God's love for his people, his loyal love for his people in his covenant. This is at the center of how God reveals himself to his people. In Exodus uh, 34, when Moses asks God, Show me your glory, the Lord says, Here's my name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in chesed, steadfast love, loving kindness, and, and faithfulness. This is at the heart of who God is as a covenant-keeping God. It's right there in His name. Yahweh as well. I am the Lord. Right? He is faithful to be who He is. He is who He is. He doesn't change in that in His steadfast love for His people and His commitment to His people. Now, David knows he doesn't deserve any of this, but he knows he's, he's, he's bolting his faith to who God is. Claiming the covenant promises for himself and his place in the covenant. He goes on. says to the Lord, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Lord, you are rich in mercy. You have a multitude of mercies. He's pleading, he's pleading that mercy for himself. He's saying, Lord, this is who you are. I need your grace and mercy. And I'm trusting in it. Um, is, is David being, being trite here? Is he, is he just kind of um, not really owning up to how bad he was? Um, not at all. He's, he's asking God for mercy. He's asking God to be who he is according to his covenant promises. But as he does so, look at what he does in these opening verses. He acknowledges here a threefold dynamic to his sin. Right? We've been talking about this a bit in our Sunday school class. Um, uh, he, 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 noted, he, he talks about his transgressions. He talks about his sin. He talks about his iniquities, this threefold aspect to his sin here. And he goes on as he talks about that to ask God for a threefold mercy to cover it. He says he transgressed God's law, willfully crossed the boundary line that God drew between right and wrong. He's asking God to to cover that up, to blot it out. He says he committed iniquity, that he he, he did something corrupted and perverse and crooked. and, And he's asking God to cleanse him from that and wash him from that. And he says that he sinned. He fell short of God's standard, and he wants to be cleansed from these things. So as he starts out the psalm, acknowledging the depths of his sin, he is also acknowledging the far greater depths of God's mercy. His sins are many, as the hymn puts it. His sins are many, but God's mercy is more. This is the the foundation at the bottom of the psalm. And, if, and, and it's not just under this psalm. It's, it's the foundation underneath David's faith. And, and if we could excavate the covenant of grace, dig down and see what's the foundation upholding the whole structure of the covenant of grace in the Bible, it would be this. Who God is, the God of steadfast love and mercy. His steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That's who God is. For us. How can he be that for us? Because of Christ. Because of Christ, the mediator. So, where do we start with confession of sin? We start by asking God for mercy because of who he is for us in Christ. Um, the Puritan Richard Sibs has a book called The Bruised Read, and he reminds us there, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Even though our sins are many, His mercy is more. And this is who God is for His people in Christ. So start there. Start there with confession of sin. The next thing we see in the psalm in verses 3-6 to is this. Acknowledge the sinfulness of your sin. Acknowledge the sinfulness of your sin. Don't dodge it. Own up to how bad you really are. Uh, We already saw David doing this as he talked about the threefold aspect of his sin, Um, but now we see it more brought out here in verses 3 to 6. David here, without giving excuses, um, confesses the sinfulness of his sin. Um, Again, we get the threefold description of it, right? Transgression, verse 3. Sin, also verse 3. And then iniquity, verse 5. He's not just kind of rushing through this section. He's Taking a while to own up to his sin before God and acknowledge how bad his sin really is, and he is grieved by it. This isn't just an exercise; not, these aren't just words he's saying. Um, we, we see how 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 cut up he is. Right, verse three: My sin is always before me. He feels guilty. He feels dirty. He feels the horrible reality of indwelling sin in his life. So his confession is coming from his heart here. And brothers and sisters, we need this in our own hearts. Right? Confession of sin, it's a discipline, it's a duty. God calls us to do it. But we, we need to pray that he'd give us a heart for it, a, a real sensitivity to the sinfulness of our sin. Because right? we deceive ourselves, we fool ourselves into thinking our sin is not as serious as it is. We need to be deeply, deeply grieved by the sinfulness of our sin. And notice, even as, even as we're looking at this, and note, notice how God-focused David's grief over his sin is. In verse 4, he says something which might have offended a few people if they read this. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Uriah's mother might have read that and said, now wait a minute, David. You sinned against my son and my daughter-in-law. But um, David knows that. He knows he hurt other people. He knows he needs to confess to other people. But the focus here, the primary focus for him is is that he is guilty before God. That, That his sin, first and foremost, was sin against his Lord and his God. He's right to say this. We, we might look at his sin and say, well, that, that comes from the second table of the law, right? Two tables of the law. The first four commandments about our duty to God. The last six about our duty towards our neighbor. David broke the, broke some from the second table, right? He lied to his neighbor. He committed adultery with a neighbor. And he murdered a neighbor. But those six commandments, as we see here, as David says, against you, you only have I sinned, Though you break one of those, and, and those are just as much about our relationship with the Lord as well. And just as much a breach of, uh, of, of uh, obedience to the Lord. Right? Murder is always more about sinning against God than in sinning against a fellow human being, as much as it is a sin against our, our neighbor. Committing adultery is always much more a sin against God. Lying. All these. And if that's not at the heart of the confession of our sin then our confession is not a Christian confession of sin. You can have a confession of sin that's, well, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry I offended you. I'm sorry I did something mean to you. But if it's not God-focused at its heart, it's not a Christian confession of sin, not a biblical confession of sin. Think of the opposite of David and his sin with Bathsheba. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. She's trying to get him to commit adultery with her. And um, Joseph there acknowledges in the context, Exodus 39, acknowledges in the context that, how, you know, he says, your, your husband, my master, has entrusted so much to me. He, he, he trusts me with everything, all his property, all his family, even with you. But then he doesn't say, so how could I sin against my master, Potiphar? He says, so how could I sin against my God like this? See, Joseph's, Conscience is bound by God, and his obedience is Godward obedience, just as much as David's confession of his sin here is, is, is Godward and God-focused. The deepest loyalty of our heart is to be obedience to God, and so when we sin, it's most of all a sin against Him, and so we need to go to Him saying, Lord, against you, and you only have I sinned. Finally, in this, in this section we're looking at here, uh, in verses 5-6, to six, um, David gives us this sense of how deep his sin runs. Um, he's shown us his grief over his sin. He's shown us his awareness of it. He's shown us how he's, um, uh, he, he's acknowledging how it's against God most of all. And then he gives us here this sense of how deep it goes, how, how, how much, how pervasive his sin goes. And he, he notes that it goes all the way back to when he was conceived, Conceived and born in iniquity that um, by nature he's a sinner. He's corrupted all the way down and all the way back. Um, and uh, then he also re- recognizes his, his corruption in his heart and his inner man that God sees. And his only hope, as he expresses it here, is that God will come and teach him true wisdom in his inner man. So David recognizes that the depth of his depravity and the extent of it. Here And, and uh, he is really grieved by it. And brothers and sisters, this needs to mark our confession of sin as well. Acknowledge the sinfulness of your sin. And if it feels rote, pray that the Lord would make it not feel that way. And, 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 and keep on in the duty, but pray that he would, he would show your heart the sinfulness of sin. That he would pierce your heart with sorrow over the fact that you've sinned against the God of grace and holiness. And that he would humble you before him. Third thing we see, verses 7 to 12, David asks for cleansing and for restoration. So, third point ask for cleansing and for restoration, verses 7 through 12. This is the third thing we see in the psalm here. Um, David is praying for cleansing in verses 7 to 9. He recognizes his corruption. He's recognizing that he's become stained by sin. He's become filthy with sin. And he's, he, he can't scrub the stains out himself. Only God can. And he wants to be clean. He says, I want to be whiter than snow. Um, uh, um, and then he asks God to purge him with, with hyssop. Uh, that 's an important that 's significant there the hyssop branch um, hyssop branches were used uh, to sprinkle blood on things in, 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 in ceremonies to show uh, to show cleansing in Jewish worship. A hyssop branch was used to spread the lamb 's blood on the lintel uh, for the passover um, David as, as he asked to be washed clean and scrubbed clean with a hyssop branch is saying acknowledging that he needs a substitute and a sacrifice to cover him that that he needs blood to wash him clean the blood of another paying the price of his sin for him to wash him clean hebrews 9:22 writes uh, talks about this indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins you don't Uh, If you don't have the, the shedding of someone else's blood to cover your sins, it's going to be the shedding of your own blood to pay the price of your sin. David's not crying out to God for mercy and expecting God to just sweep his sin under the rug. God is just, and David knows it. He knows he needs a substitute. And the substitute he needs is not a beast. As the hymn says, not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain can take away our sin. It's only the blood. Of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who comes to take the sin of the world. David is looking to this, and and uh, this is this is our only hope for cleansing as well. That God would take the blood of Christ and spread it over us and blot out the uncleanness of our sin. It is only the blood of Jesus that can wash away our sin and make us as white as. Snow and only then can we be restored and filled with joy and gladness, um, as we are cleansed in His blood. So David prays for cleansing. He also prays uh, for uh, for full restoration. Verses ten to twelve, he he wants he wants to be fully restored. He wants a new heart. He wants his spirit renewed, made new again. He wants his inner man fully restored and renovated and and, and holy again. Uh, he may have in mind here God's promise, Deuteronomy thirty verse six, where God says, "The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul." that you may live. David wants that. Lord, he's saying, come and do that. I don't just want to be forgiven. I want to be remade and renewed and walk in holiness again and, and, and to know the love of God restored in his, in his heart again. He wants to know the smile of God again. He wants fellowship with God again. Sin separates us. And, and, and um, David wants that separation overcome. He, he wants God Fellowship with God. He says, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He will not rest until he is right with God. Not just legally right with God, but restored in fellowship and and friendship and joy in the presence of God. That's the goal of confession. That's why we confess our sin. So that we are brought back into the presence and under the smile of God and feel the joy of His fellowship again. Sin will, sin will strip away and eat away at our joy in God. Confession of sin is, is what will restore that. So uh, make, make that your aim as you, as you confess your sin. Ask for cleansing and ask for restoration. Then the fourth thing. Aim at humility for the glory of God. Verses 13 through 19. Aim at humility for the glory of God. This is the last thing we see in the psalm. Your confession is not complete until it ends with your heart humbled and resolved to spread abroad the glory of the grace of God. David ends this psalm uh, n- uh, not, not really focusing on himself, but focusing on God and the glory of God. Confession of sin is not in the last analysis about us, but the glory of God and for, for His sake. Um, how does this work? One of the ways in which confession brings glory to God is that it, it brings others to worship the God who forgives sins. Uh, God's work in our lives invites others, calls others to ask God to work in their lives too. Um, one of the goals that David has in mind here at the end of the psalm is, is witness. Verse 13, he says, Then, right after you've restored me and forgiven me and cleansed me, and, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. So David wants the Lord to use this experience in his life to, uh, to bring others to repentance, to call others to repentance and confession of sin. He wants the whole world to know the grace and righteousness of God. He wants to stir up others to repentance by his witness here. But it's not just witness that he wants as a result of this confession and then forgiveness. It's also worship. Um, the goal of it all, including the, the witness, is for worship. He wants people to worship God for this. He wants himself to worship God for this grace. And he also wants uh, he wants God to show him mercy so that others will glorify him as well. Look at verses 14 to 15. He says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your Praise, Forgive me so I can witness to you and worship you as the God who forgives sins. Now, most of us don't have the position David had. Well, none of us have the position David had, right? He's the king of Israel. And his sin probably garnered a fair amount of attention. Everybody probably knew about it. And so to have God work in him in this way, and for the whole nation to see their king fall into sin, live in sin, and then confess and repent and turn out not to be another Saul by the grace of God, uh, but, but to see him confess. And then to have David, their, their hymn writer, come write Psalm 51 for them. and say, He's saying to them, join me in praising the God who forgave even me. And he's calling, right? He has this great opportunity for a witness here we 're not in that position um, and and uh, the, the the sin that we uh, that we fall into and walk in is not going to get the same kind of attention that his did and, and the forgiveness that we receive is not going to get the same kind of public notice that he received and yet this is indeed one of one of the powerful ways that God works to witness in our lives because we have husbands, wives, children, parents, siblings, friends, neighbors, and they see us sin. And they see what it does to us. And and and, and won't it bring glory to Christ when they see me confess? And they, they see me receive the grace of God again and worship Him for that grace. And this can happen in, in, in ordinary ways. It can happen right here on a Sunday morning. Time of confession in church. Kids are sitting with me, Right? What do they see in their dad as he confesses his sins? Do they see real grief, and then do they see real joy at the grace of God given when the words of uh, 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 of of comfort and assurance of faith are given, and real joy as I respond in song? Do those around me see that? Because that's a testimony to them of the real and living grace of God in your life. This can happen not just in church; it can happen in our homes. As well, in our workplaces, when people see our sin, yes, but then confession and, and grief and 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 then and then the grace of God given and fellowship with him restored it 's a powerful witness. This is how David continues, and then as he exalts God for this as he as he declares to God his desire to witness to this, he also he also knows this means humbling himself and As he draws the psalm to a close, he bows low before God's majesty. Verses 16-17, to he says, For you do not desire a sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God delights in a broken spirit? A broken heart? What does David mean? He doesn't mean the one who's um, uh, given up on life, despondent, Um, but he he means the one whose pride has been broken. The one whose stubborn self-sufficiency and rebellion against God has been broken. The man or the woman, the boy or girl, who's learned how sinful they are and how gracious to them God is. That's the broken heart and the contrite. Spirit, This is what confession of sin works in us. This is, this is how confession of sin, done in this way by the power of the Spirit, trains our hearts to be humble and broken and contrite before the Lord. And then David ends with a prayer. Uh, for the people of God, He's confessed his sin. He's cried out for forgiveness, for the glory of God, for the sake of witness and worship. And he's bowed himself low in humility. And then he ends praying for the good of the church and the people of God. Verses 18-19, to he says, Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bowls on your altar. It's an interesting way to close the psalm. Not the way I would have closed it if I were writing it. Um, Again, David is the king, right? He he knows his position. And as he closes this psalm, he's recognizing that as he is the king, he's responsible not just for himself, but also for his people. And his disobedience could lead Israel off a cliff. And we're going to see other kings after him, right? You read on, you see all kinds of other kings, and their disobedience leads the whole nation astray. So much depends on the godliness and holiness of the King of God's people. So David is praying for forgiveness and he's saying, Oh Lord, despite my sin, keep building your people. Keep preserving your people. Keep accepting their sacrifices. Keep keep strengthening and and, and sustaining and continuing with your people. I know I don't deserve it, but but I pray that you give it from your grace. He's, he's pleading the blessing of God on the people of God. We have a king who does the same. Uh, but, but the king that we have, our Lord Jesus, of course, um, he is the king of righteousness who didn't fall and stumble into sin, uh, but who, is, who has kept every part of God's law, our righteous king who does not lead us astray. And as he pleads the blessing of God for us, uh, for his people, we can rest assured that that prayer will not fail. So there it is. Psalm 51, a lesson in confession. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would work in us this grace, that you would break our hearts, break the pride of our hearts, make us humble and contrite, trembling at your word. Lord, give us a sense of our sin. Give us a sense much more of Your grace. We pray that it would be a powerful witness to those around us and a great cause for worship from ourselves and from those who see Your work in us. To You, Lord Jesus Christ, be all the glory. Amen.